365 daily devotionals, um, like a little page each, just brief reflections on on the book of um, Proverbs. I bought a stack of those that'll be arriving next week, and so if you'd like to grab one, uh, there'll be back there'll be a bunch at the back uh, about twenty bucks. Um, great, great resource to learn wisdom, and so that's the first one. Uh, the second one. Um, I've got a digital copy of it, not a physical one, so I've used one that looks exactly the same. Uh, this is Luke, but there's a Proverbs one of the, these. Um, this, this one's written by um, Ray Ortland, and it is, it's a commentary, but it's more like a series of sermons. It is a series of sermons on Proverbs. It is the best thing. If you uh, would like a copy of that, I'm not buying a bunch of those because they're a bit more expensive. I think they're about 40 bucks. Um, this one's 30, so there you go. Um, it is, if you want to do the deep dive... This goes covered um, yeah, line by line through the book of Proverbs. It would be a fantastic read. And so those are the two things out there for you to consider grabbing. And again, we'll have a bunch of those devotionals next week uh, if you'd like one of those. So just keep that in mind for next week. Proverbs. Why are we studying Proverbs now, having finished Nehemiah? Why, why Proverbs? Uh, let me just tell a, a story. When I was 16, I lived in Christchurch, New Zealand. Very beautiful place, part of the world. And um, one of my friend's mums was a teacher at the local community college, TAFE thing. And she was running a course on, uh, like a barista course, like a hospitality course, specifically how to make coffees. And so me and my friends were like, yeah, look, that sounds like a good idea, learn how to make coffee, a skill that might come in handy down the track. Um, so I was trying to find a, a job uh, when moving into uni. Um, sounds pretty smart, sounds wise, actually. Um, and so we went to that, and um, after spending a whole day learning how to make coffee, uh, they spent a lot of time t- telling us how to store coffee. The answer is, it's a cool, dark place. Uh, and I remember that so distinctly, because we, it was the answer to so many questions on the exam. So many an- that we actually had an acronym. It was the CDP, right? The cold, dark place. And so CDP became, um, and I remember that after all these years, the CDP. Um, and the final exam, after the, after the, the theory of oh, where do you store coffee, CDP, um, was a practical where we had to make a whole bunch of coffees in a certain time limit. So let's see if you can actually make like, acceptable coffees in a reasonable amount of time before we give you the certificate saying that, yes, you can, you, you're, you're a certified barista. Now, I was there with my friends. And I don't know if you know about this phenomenon, but when you put a group of teenage boys together... No matter how clever they are, they get really dumb. <laughs> it's, as if, it's as if we all have to take turns using the one brain. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's your turn to use the brain, and then it's my turn. And so um, we made it a game, because of course we, it was more like a challenge, which is you had to drink all your coffees that you made for the exam. <laughs> well, think about it. Otherwise, they're going down the drain, right? And so there you go. We're being... Um, we're being responsible. Um, and so in about 12 minutes, I made eight coffees, 13 shots of, of individual coffees, so certainly individual shots, including a whole bunch of milk. To make matters worse, because I am like a bit sensible, it must be said, um, I was last. So I had the peer pressure of watching everyone else go first. So I had no choice. And so, yes, I drank 13 shots of coffee and a whole bunch of milk. Very quick, like all at once, like just Danum, and then uh, and then we all went home. <laughs> you would think the high would be the standout, but it was not. The high was it was the it was the down. 
um, I distinctly remember just being in fetal position on the carpet <laughs> afterwards, just being so ill, so ill. Um, and yeah, just so much regret. I'm like, why did we do that? Question. Was that sinful? I don't think you can find a verse that says, teenage boys don't drink lots of coffee and get sick, right? Was it wise? Was it wise? Definitely not wise. The book of Proverbs is about wisdom. Most of the things, most of the decisions, you know, every day we're going to face 10,000 different decisions, and most of them aren't questions of, is this sinful? Most of the question is, is this wise? That's actually where we're going to spend about 90% of our lives. 90% of our lives is lived in the space between there's no wrong, clear right and wrong moral imperative here. There's no verse of scripture that really comes to bear on this. I have to kind of use my common sense and my wisdom to make a decision. Do you know what I mean? Like every day we have to figure out, you know, what to wear, what to have for breakfast, how to handle that difficult coworker. I've got that one. Um, <laughs> takes wisdom, guys. I'm not talking about Javi either, I've got to say. Um, so funny. I'm sorry I said that. It's a joke, guys. It's a joke. Um, how to, you know, as a parent, how to parent. When they're little, it's like, keep them alive. It's easy. As they get older, you start having to deal with very complex situations. It takes wisdom. How to be a good friend to a person who's having a hard time. Someone that maybe needs to be, you know, someone who's making lots of bad decisions. Like, how do I love this person? How do I, do I have that conversation? How do I have that conversation? Are they going to hate me if I have that conversation? If I, if, if I have that conversation, what do I say? I think you're making bad decisions. How do you say that? So much wisdom. And then all the way up to like the big life questions. Where do I live? What do I do for a career? Who do I marry? Wisdom. You're not going to find answers to those questions directly in Scripture. You have to think, you have to have, it takes wisdom to make these decisions. And so wisdom is going to fill in a whole lot of gaps in our lives as Christians. And so... We're going to study the book of Proverbs because we all need lots of wisdom. Why? This world is getting super complicated. <laughs> it's always been complicated. It's always been complicated, let's admit that. But we need wisdom. We need wisdom. This, we're, we're in complicated times. Uh, Ray Oatland, in his awesome commentary on Proverbs, uh, he said this. He said, let us not underrate what we have here in the book of Proverbs. Biblical wisdom is more than what we find in a fortune cookie. It is more than an optional add-on for people who want to upgrade their lives from, say, a 4 to a 7, from a scale of 1 to 10. This wisdom from Christ is a matter of life or death. Proverbs 13, 14 says, The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. We have love, but not wisdom. We will harm people with the best of intentions. I'm sure you've seen that play out. If we, love, if we have love, but not wisdom, we will harm people with the best of intentions. If we have courage, but not wisdom, we will blunder boldly. If we have truth, but not wisdom, we'll make the gospel ugly to other people. If we have technology, but not wisdom, 
we will use the best communications ever invented to broadcast stupidity. We need wisdom. We need wisdom. The book of Proverbs helps us grow in wisdom. And so uh, verse 7 is, is uh, really the key verse for the whole book of, of Proverbs. And it tells us that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Elsewhere it'll say the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It, it's the, we'll get to that soon, but just to, just to say now before we pray, there is a beginning to wisdom. There is a first step. And as we start out today, I hope and I pray that we would as a church and you personally would cross that threshold into the beginning of wisdom and that we would begin to go on that journey with the Lord, that we would learn and grow and seek it together because the Lord can make us wise. So let's pray to that end now and we'll open up our text. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the start of the book of Proverbs, I ask that you would make us wise. Lord, use these next few weeks and months, Lord, as we sit in this book, Lord, to um, grow us in wisdom. Would we understand what we read today by your Spirit's power, illuminate the text, and soften our hearts and minds to your word, we pray. Amen. Amen. Today, we're going to be just in the first seven verses of Proverbs it's the prologue of the book. It's the, it's the introduction to the book. book. Um, and so thanks for reading out before, Ian. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at it in three parts, broken it down to three kind of sections. We've got the three, three Fs. Love that. I always feel like a win when I, when I manage to make it work. The form of wisdom, firstly, verse 1. Uh, the fruit of wisdom, 2 to 6. And finally, the foundation of wisdom in verse 7. There. So firstly, we're going to spend a decent amount of time on the form of wisdom in verse 1. What are we reading? What is Proverbs? That's the question I'm trying to, trying to answer here for us. What, how does the book work, and how does it help us grow in wisdom? What is it doing? What are the principles behind it? Um, Proverbs is not the only book of wisdom in the Bible. It's one of three. Arguably, there's a fourth. Um, the, other, the other two important ones are the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Job. The Bible Project has this wonderful analogy that I found very helpful that kind of said that each of these books gives us a different portrait of wisdom, and they're all quite different and distinct. They've all got their different characters, and we need all three of them to make sense of the world. So Proverbs by itself isn't going to do the job. We actually need the rest of, of, of these other books. Um, but we can imagine them, and again, I'm stealing this from the Bible Project because I thought it was so helpful. You can imagine these three books as three different people, three different teachers that are going to teach us about wisdom. And they kind of got these different profiles. So Proverbs, firstly, she is a brilliant young teacher. Brilliant. She's not just smart. She is just brilliant, again. And she's a she, she's a she because in the book of Proverbs, uh, wisdom is personified as lady wisdom, a, a, a woman. And all the wives said, amen. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense if that's the truth. Especially after my story about teenage boys making themselves sick for no reason. Oh, gosh. Um, wisdom. She's, she's, um, her life is successful and it's beautiful. It's noble. There's a nobility about her. She just blesses everyone in her radius. 
her life just exudes something of the of the character of God in it. She's she's wise and humble and diligent, and she just has this insight. She can just see past everything. She can just see to the core of the matter, and she just understands how the world works. She understands complex things. She would make the best friend ever because in specific situations she just knows exactly what to say. She just has the best advice for really, really, really complicated, hard things. This is this is Proverbs. This is who she is. Ecclesiastes is quite different. Ecclesiastes, he's more like that um, that razor sharp, like middle-aged professor. He's a philosopher. And he has this way of asking these penetrating questions that just makes everyone around him feel uncomfortable. Uh, he can just make everyone go, like, to squirm because he asks just deep, deep, deep fundamental questions. And everyone has to think about what life really means when he's in the room because he's just going to make us think. And finally, have Job, who's the weathered old man who has seen everything that life has. He's seen it all. And he knows that the world is complicated and that sometimes people suffer for no reason. And he knows that kind of trite sayings can be a little bit, yeah, things, it, life's a bit more complicated than that. And so we need, we need Job as well in the room. Today, yes, we need to learn from all of these, but over the next few weeks, we're, we're putting Ecclesiastes and Job aside and we're focusing on, on Proverbs. How does the world work generally? Most of the, what, are the, what are the important kind of underlying principles of the world? And so that's what we're going to be doing in, in the book of Proverbs. It's going to be really great. The book itself in, uh, is, is divided basically into two, ha- two parts, two halves. Uh, the first nine chapters, so that's where we're going to spend the next probably five or six weeks, four, four to six weeks we'll, we'll do in, in one to nine, are uh, really, it's really teaching about wisdom. It's wisdom about wisdom. It's a, it's a father talking to a son, hey son, get wisdom. Wisdom is the most important thing in your world. Go after it. Seek hard. Beware the folly of the fool. Be wise. Learn. Keep learning. Be humble. And you just, you're just going to bang that drum for nine chapters. Uh, the, from 10 to 31, it's really the, it's probably what comes to mind when you think of the book of Proverbs. It's those little sayings on a whole bunch of random stuff, just all mixed up. It's on shuffle. It's just, there's, there's just you literally read one thing and read another thing, and it just kind of keeps going. There's about hundreds of these short sayings. Um, so when we get to that part, we're going we're gonna to go thematic because we can't really preach through those, that part of, of, of the word coherently. Um, whereas 1 to 9 makes a lot more sense going through. Okay, so let's get to verse 1 today. We're going to see the book's title. The title of the book, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So firstly, these are the Proverbs of Solomon. So the first thing we need to ask ourselves is what are the biblical proverbs? What are proverbs? How do they work? I'm going to spend a little bit of time here because this is really, 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 really important. And if you miss this part, then the rest of proverbs makes little sense. So I really need to understand kind of this, the idea of how proverbs work, what they are, how they function. Um, firstly, a proverb is a just a short, wise saying that's designed to be thought-provoking and memorable. We have a million of them in English. I'm sure if we just uh, threw the floor open, we could come up with a bunch. For example, finish these for me. A watched pot never spoils. Better late than never. Speak up. <laughs> Beggars can't be 
No, it's... Two wrongs don't make a... Right. Right. And life's not fair. Easy is true as well. Yeah, there you go. There's a few on that one. Um, Dwight Schrute has my famous, my, my favorite proverb uh, from The Office. He summed up the whole book of Proverbs, really, when he said, he said, whenever I'm going to do something, I think, would an idiot do that? <laughs> and if they would, I do not do that thing. <laughs> That's the wisdom of Dwight, Dwight Schrute. And uh, lot to be learned from that. If only our world lived by that principle a bit more. Would an idiot do this? Then don't do it. That's, that's Proverbs in a nutshell. But just, okay, so we're familiar with Proverbs, but just think about how they, how they work. Like, just think about what's actually happening. I'll just give you one example. Um, you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make him drink. Now, is that a proverb about how to look after a horse? Because that's what it's saying. It is, it is about a horse, isn't it? But it's not, right? Like, you understand that, right? I don't have to explain this. Despite what we think, right, this isn't about horse care or husbandry, right? Um, you're expected, as the reader of a proverb or a hearer of a proverb, to, to interpret it in its, what it's actually saying, okay? It's actually about, this one's actually about relationships, about how you can put a good, you can, you can encourage a person to make a good decision, but you can't actually make it for them. They actually need to take some agency in their own life and make a decision, right? That's what it's talking about. And you're expected to go, ah, he's not talking about a horse. He's talking about people, right? You're meant to figure that out. And this is how Proverbs work. The same thing with the, the watched pot not boiling. He's not saying, you know, the laws of physics, they change <laughs> when people watch things. Well, there's a whole thing about uh, a quantum physics that we... Uh, that, 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 that is, I just had a thought about quantum stuff. Anyway, um, put that aside. Um, it's not about the laws of physics changing, right? It's about something else, you understand? The same thing is true with Hebrew proverbs, right? You're meant to stop and you're meant to think about what is this actually saying? Not just what is it saying, what is it actually saying? What is its intended meaning? We can get into all sorts of problems if you just read them on their surface level. We're meant to kind of pick, like pick up a proverb, not just like eat it, but like sit and look at it and kind of turn it over in your hands and pass it from one hand to another and like weigh it and throw it in the air and catch it and play with it. You're meant to like, like a fidget spinner, right? You're meant to play with the thing, think about the thing, dwell on the thing, roll it over in your mind. This is, this is how proverbs work. They're not really made to be just digested. They're meant to be spent time on. And so because they are sharp, short and sharp, um, they are by necessity oversimplifications about things. By necessity, they are going to do that. They're never intended to give the full comprehensive picture on anything. They're a piece in the puzzle. They're how life generally works. Now, as modern people, we struggle with this a little bit. The Hebrews loved it, but we're like, yeah, we're just, we, got, we just have different minds, right? So we struggle sometimes with this because we're just used to kind of reading the Bible, interpreting it just in a really straightforward manner. It's saying this, therefore this, right? Proverbs, is, it's meant to sit in your brain and make you think and dwell. And um, they're, just, they're just different. You have to read them differently, okay? Proverbs, they're not, they're not absolute commands and they're definitely not absolute promises, they're not absolute commands, go and do this, and they're not absolute promises. When you do this, this will always happen. 
you'll pick up very fast that that's not how life works. Work hard, you won't be poor. We can all imagine, we can all think of people that work very hard and are poor, right? But generally, work hard, it's going to be part of your success. But it's, we can't take them as absolute promises as if that is how the world always works. Um, so you can think of them as, as like true-isms. They're true, but as general truths. Not absolute promises all the time. They're generally too true most of the time in their proper context. Let me just give you a classic example from the book of Proverbs, which I find very amusing, and I hope you will as well. Uh, Proverbs 26, 4 to 5 or so. Says this, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. So don't answer a fool according to his folly, because you're going to become like him. Next verse, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Question, according to the Bible, the word of God, should you answer a fool according to his folly or not? What does the Bible teach about answering a fool? Well, the proper answer is it depends, right? Now, you might see this, like, again, some people see this and they're like, ah, a contradiction. The Bible's, it's, it's, it's garbage because this is a contradiction. Which one are you supposed to do, right? Like, no, no, you don't, you don't understand how Proverbs work. They're designed to make you think. So you're all doing that right now. You're like, what do you do with a fool, right? Um, apparently, there are some fools that you should not engage with. Because to engage with them is just to come down to their level. And it's just, there's, there's literally no point, right? Um, those of you who have ventured into the YouTube comments <laughs> know that this proverb is true. There are some fools you just don't bother with, right? However, there are other types of fools who we should engage with to help them see the error of their ways. Otherwise, how are they going to stop being a fool, right? We have to engage the fools sometimes, right? And we, as the reader, or you as the reader, are meant to ask the question, which fool am I talking to right now? So next time you're talking to a fool, go, which kind of fool is this? Is this this kind of fool or this kind of fool? Because uh, they're definitely a fool, right? So do you see these, these, aren't, these aren't contradicting? They're complementary angles of what to do with a fool. Sometimes you do this, sometimes you do that. Wisdom. You get it? You kind of seeing that, how that works? Um, there's a couple in English that do the same thing, actually. Uh, we have the saying, you know, many hands make light work. Everyone pitches in, we'll be done really fast, right? But then we also have the saying, too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, too many, the other one, too many cooks spoil the broth. So is it, is it good to have lots of people helping or not? It depends. Thank you. Yes, yes, you're getting it, right? It depends. It depends on the task we're doing. depends on the wisdom of the people helping. depends on a whole bunch of things. It takes wisdom. And so please keep these things in mind as we read Proverbs. They're not absolute commands and promises. None of them are going to give a full picture of reality. We need them all kind of hanging together. We need to reflect on them. We need to, like, mull over them. They're not claiming this is how the world always works all of the time. Again, see Job, right? These are insights into the general order of things. We need them. And so maybe just three things to kind of hold in your mind as we do the, the series. And I'm sure we'll come back to these three things a whole bunch Three questions to ask each time we see a proverb are these three things, the three V's. What virtue does the proverb commend? What's the virtue it's trying to instill in us? Secondly, what vice does the proverb warn against? 
And finally, what value does the proverb affirm? I think if we spend some time asking each of these questions, what's virtue? What's it trying to build in me? What's it trying to warn me against? And what is, on a more big picture, what are, the, what are the values, the underlying values here that it's trying to instill in us as well? So these are the proverbs, the proverbs of Solomon. Um, so, yeah, Solomon. He's, we've, we've met, already mentioned him today. He's uh, renowned for his wisdom in the Bible. He asked for wisdom. The Lord gave him wisdom, and he has this, this ministry in his, in his reign of king as being a wise man. And he's, from the outset, um, yeah, flagged as being the main author of the book. We have a bunch of other authors as well in the book. Uh, we've got, for example, we've got Hezekiah's men in chapter 25, a group called the Wise. They show up a couple of times. A fellow called Agur and a guy called Lemuel. So we've got a number of authors in the book, but by and large, um, Solomon is the, is the main author and collector of, of the Proverbs. Uh, Hezekiah lived about 250 years after, so his men would have probably taken Solomon's work and added to it and adjusted it, and we don't know exactly how it all kind of panned out, but um, certainly Solomon was, is the main author of the book. There's tons we can learn from a man who has given such wisdom from the Lord. So it's going to be exciting, guys. This is, this is Proverbs. I think it's going to be good for us. I think there's a lot we can learn. I think just having that openness to, to grow in wisdom, it's going to bless us. I really believe that. So this is the, the, the form of wisdom. Next thing we're going to see in the next couple of verses is really what it's trying to do. What is the fruit of wisdom? What is the book attempting to grow in us? And so that's what we're going to be looking at now. Verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing. In righteousness justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And to the one who understands, obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. I'm just going to draw out just three kind of levels that Proverbs is, is, is working on here. I've got the practical level, just like how life works, the ethical level, and then finally the theological level in verse 7. Um, so firstly, the practical, the practical level. Just, you probably would have noticed it. In, in Hebrew, it's even more kind of um, hits you a bit harder. But just notice the way he piles up these kind of overlapping words here about wisdom. He's got a whole bunch here. Wisdom instruction, insight, prudence, knowledge, and discretion. And if you have a different Bible in your lap now, you'll have probably have different words. This is the ESV's crack at trying to draw out the nuances of these different Hebrew words. Different translations will have different, different words. But I think the different translations having different words kind of reinforces the point. It kind of makes the point that these are very much overlapping. They're stacking and they're broadening and they're giving this kind of fully orbed picture of what wisdom looks like. And so um, in Hebrew, all of these terms have their little, little nuances, and so we're just going to have a little look at a couple of them. The first and most important one, wisdom. The word wisdom. It's the Hebrew word chokmah, and it's the main word all the way through Proverbs. It has this connotation that probably doesn't exist in our English, 
but it has a connotation in the um, in the Hebrew of skill. So it's the same word is used of artists as they create something something beautiful, this beautiful work of art. They were working with with chokhmah. So it's this idea of um, skill in living well, just being good at life. You're just you can just you're just good. You just handle life well. There's a skill in that. And so you can kind of think of wisdom, the general definition being a skill in living or just being good at life, really. Um, so that is the word hokmah, and that's the one we're going to be coming back to again and again and again and again. Uh, the next word I have here is the word instruction. I'm awful at Hebrew, so if there's any Hebrew speakers in the word, I'm just going to butcher all these words. Musa, the word instruction, the Hebrew word musa, could be translated as well as like chastisement or warning or restraint, and it's this idea of, of like a teacher correcting, uh, correcting a, a wayward student. So it's like this, it's, it's someone who is being kind of continually corrected by, by life. You know, you make a bad decision, you learn from your mistake. Or you make a bad decision and a parent kind of guides you and corrects you with this idea of learning from mistakes. Uh, insight, finer, is the idea of discernment. Discernment, it's the, it's the wisdom of nuance, the ability to kind of see shades of difference. It's the, uh, the ability to kind of avoid simple answers and understand that things are complicated and being able to articulate those complications. Um, yeah, noticing distinctions and shades of difference where other people just see, just see a thing. For example, I am a big soccer fan up the Matildas. Um, and when I watch a game of soccer, if you don't watch and I was watching the room, we would see very different things, right? I'm watching, I'm watching how a player will move without the ball, what, what they're looking at, where their eyes are, the way they're positioning their body before the ball gets to them, the way the team moves together like a, like a um, well-oiled machine, like that person goes there, and this person's going there, and this person's moving up here, and different, different movements trigger different things, and I'm, I'm seeing that, and you just see a ball on the field, right? But I'm watching how the, how the way the coach has clearly drilled them to do different moves. Um, but if you were to take me to like a professional ballet show, I'm just going to see people in tights, right? That's all I'm seeing. It's like, I don't know if this is good or awful. It just looks, I just like, and I would need an expert to kind of help me understand, oh, that was really good. Oh, okay, that's good. Because I don't, I don't know what I'm looking at, right? Um, I think Tim Keller said it really well on this one. He said that this type of wisdom, right, this insight is the ability not just to tell right from wrong, but the ability to tell good from better to best. That takes insight. That takes wisdom to be able to navigate those kind of distinctions. Um, the next, next few, they kind of stack on top of each other. They seem to be quite similar words. Um, in, in, the, um, in the ESV, we've got wise dealing, prudence, and discretion. Or in the, uh, in the Hebrew, Haskel, Oma, and Mizima. And they all have this idea of kind of clever planning thoughtful planning, um, kind of strategy, like being tactical in your decisions. In fact, one of them, uh, the, the word translated here, prudence, or orma, is the same word that was used in a negative way in the garden of the serpent. The serpent was more crafty, right? He's more shrewd. He's cunning. It's the, this kind of, it's a, it's a kind of a negative way. But there's a positive version of that word, isn't there? You're kind of tactical. You don't make dumb decisions because you think about the outcomes and you make decisions thinking about the future. 
So it's this idea of being kind of resourceful and clever and just being able to make things happen, right? It's a very practical kind of intelligence. And so we need all these things to be wise. All these things are, are needed, really, to be a wise person. And there's one thing I do want you to see here as we think about all these different definitions that are kind of stacked up here, is that none of these things, wisdom is not mere intelligence. I think we could probably all think of people who had a very high IQ, who lacked wisdom, and their lives reflected that poor ability to actually handle life. High IQ does not equal wisdom in the same way that age does not equal wisdom. Do you know what, in fact, there's, um, there's, there's studies, um, which is quite interesting, studies that show that, that, that I, high IQ is not correlated with a, with a successful life. It's just, it's just not how the world works. Um, however, there is a high correlation between EQ, emotional intelligence, and success in life. It's, the, it's that relational wisdom that actually helps people navigate life better than just kind of raw intelligence. And the Proverbs is going to have so much to teach us about relational wisdom, what it means to be wise in that way. So this is the kind of practical level of, of wisdom. Uh, secondly, just quickly, notice in verse 3, right, the ethical level here. You've got righteousness, justice, and equity. So to be wise in the sense that you can carve out a good life for yourself at the expense of those around you, the Bible says, is not wisdom. That is folly. So those, those businessmen, you know, who are, who are ruthless and clever and resourceful and cunning and are, and are making their profits on the backs of slave labor, not wisdom in the eyes of God. That's not wise. Wisdom is not merely practical and it is certainly not self-centered. Wisdom cares about what's right. Wisdom cares about what's good. Wisdom cares about what is beautiful and noble. Wisdom is ethical and has this moral undergirding to it as well. You put all these things together and you begin to get this really beautiful picture, I think, of what, what wisdom looks like in a life. And so, verses 4 and 5. Do you want to be wise? Do you want to be wise like this? Verses 4 and 5 tell us who is invited into wisdom. We see... It is to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in understanding, and the one who understands obtain guidance. So the first category here is the simple and the youth. Obviously, they need wisdom. I don't think anyone likes to think of themselves as simple. Um, but we all are simple in our own way, I think, and we all need wisdom from the Lord. Um, so if that's you today, hey, you're invited now into wisdom. Wisdom from the hand of the Lord. And the youth, obviously, if you're a younger person, you need a whole lot of, lot of wisdom. And yes, you're invited into wisdom. But notice the second group here. I find this very interesting. The second group is the wise. This is one of the most important lessons, I think, that's going to come out of the book of Proverbs over the next however long we're in the book, right? That the wise are committed to growing in wisdom. That's the definition of wisdom, is that you keep going after wisdom. The fool is the one who is wise in his own eyes. He already thinks he's there. He's arrived. He's got this. I don't need anyone's advice. I'm, I'm good, right? That's the fool. He doesn't need wisdom anymore in his own mind. 
the wise is humble enough to continue to seek after it, to ask for wisdom, to go after wisdom, to seek wisdom. He's aware of his own foolishness. The fool is arrogant. He's got everything figured out. And so to my older friends in the room, or those that are like, yeah, I'm wise, <laughs> don't stop growing in wisdom. Keep going after wisdom. If you feel like you've arrived, the Bible's calling you a fool. <laughs> Go after wisdom. Don't stop growing in wisdom. You have not arrived. Keep yourself in a humble posture before the Lord. And today, commit yourself to growing in wisdom again. That's the wise person. That's what the wise do. Let the wise hear and increase. So friends, if you want to be wise... I hope you want to be wise, but if you want to be wise, Proverbs is for you. Proverbs is for you. And finally, so we've done the form, what it is, how it works. We've done the fruit, this big picture of wisdom that kind of touches every area of our lives uh, with a practical and ethical kind of foundation. Finally, the foundation of wisdom, verse 7. Uh, Ray Ortland said, if we could distill the entire book into one drop, it would be this verse. If we could just, the whole thing, boil it down, that's, this is what it is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wisdom is often theological. In fact, before it's anything else, it is theological. We can't even begin. We cannot even begin. You cannot even take your first step on the journey of wisdom without this foundation in place. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. Fourteen times the book is going to repeat this, either with the word knowledge or with wisdom. It's going to come up again and again and again. This is the most important point in the book of Proverbs. And like building a house, you need a foundation. Without a foundation, you can't build anything. You can't take your first step without this. This is the beginning. So... What is it to fear the Lord? What does it mean to fear the Lord? It's such an interesting, I was reflecting this week about how much we touched on this through the book of Nehemiah. This is actually one of the big themes of Nehemiah, and so we've been talking about it over the recent months already. What is the fear of the Lord? There's really two types of fear. There's the kind of fear that makes you run. Run in terror, run in self-preservation. And we just go. There's another kind of fear. That first one, that's not what we're talking about in Proverbs. That's not what this verse is referring to. The Christian does not live in fear of their father. There's a different kind of fear. This is the kind of fear that we feel when we stand in the presence of something so massive so beyond us that we feel our small, smallness. We feel our smallness. So we might think of this kind of fear as being like a reverent awe or something of that nature. It's, it's that awe that comes upon our hearts. And we feel little. It's deeply, deeply humbling. I don't know if you've ever had that experience when you've been camping or something like that and you're out in the middle of nowhere, and you just stare at the stars for a long time. Oh, that's, a, that's a photo, by the way, of our planet, um, which blows my mind. And you just stare at the stars, and you think about how many millions and millions 
and millions of light years between you and that star. And it begins to kind of dawn on you that you're standing on a tiny little rock flying through space at a million trillion kilometers an hour. And yet this universe is, and you just get dizzy, right? You're just flying through empty space and you start to feel dizzy because you, it dawns on you again how little you are. This is not the kind of fear that terrifies us. It's the kind of fear that makes us sit up and pay attention. <laughs> Stop playing games. Listen, you cannot be wise if you are walking around on this earth thinking that you are the center of the universe. The fear of the Lord is when we realize that you are not the measure of all things. You are being measured. The fear of the Lord is what we realize when we stand that we will stand before him one day and give an account of our lives. The fear of the Lord is what happens when we realize we're standing on God's earth, breathing his air, enjoying his good things, and we will be held accountable for our actions. It's humbling. C.S. Lewis said it well. He said, in God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. And unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. We just have such small pictures in our mind of who God is, don't we? A proud man. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Friends, you will never, ever, 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 ever be wise until you fear the Lord. And you have a sense of your place in the universe. You are not his equal. Your opinion on things are not the same as his opinion on things. Your subjective experience of the world is not objective reality. We are not the measure of all things. He is. We are being measured. Friends, he is all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's all-present. He knows the beginning from the end, he's numbered the stars. He knows every hair on your head. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will judge all people, past, present, and future. He is the Lord. But you are not him. You will never be wise until you grasp that this is our God. And you'll never be wise until you grasp the fact that he sent his son to die on that cross for you so that you would not have to face judgment but receive love and grace in his place, in its place. You'll never be wise until you grasp that the only thing between you and the wrath of God is that cross. A cross to be received by faith, through grace, to be received with thankfulness and joy. So in the next few weeks, as we sit in Proverbs, it'll be a waste of time for you if you do not fear the Lord. Fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Talking about wisdom without this is a waste of your time. 
which means the best thing that we could all do today, everyone in this room, including myself, the best thing we could do today as we begin this journey of wisdom is to draw again, draw near to this God in holy awe. To humble ourselves at his feet. To to sit up and pay attention to what he is saying to us. Because wisdom, it doesn't start with great learning, but on our knees in prayer, in humility. And I think we can take that, I think everyone here can take that step forwards today. It's a step forwards, but it's also a step down. Down before him, down before your maker. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So let's pray to our good and wise God now and ask for that wisdom. Our good Father, you are so wise. We lack that wisdom. We like to think that we are wise, Lord, but we are fools. And we are fools who are growing in wisdom. And so I pray, Lord, that you would make us wise. Make us wiser than we were. Use the book of Proverbs, Lord, to to shape us and mold us and to give us understanding of these things. Lord, we know that this journey into wisdom, it starts with a deep sense of your massiveness and the the corresponding smallness of ourselves. Help us feel these things. It's hard for us to face that reality, to be honest. So give us the strength to do that. Give us the courage to do that, Lord, that we might grow truly in wisdom. Lord, help us, even even as we do lower ourselves. Show us that down low before you is just where we need to be. And so we thank you today for your word. We thank you for the the lives that you've given us to lead in this world. But Lord, make us wise. Show us guide us, use, use Proverbs, Lord, to help us navigate the complexities in which we live and be with us now. Would you receive our worship now, Lord, as we, as we turn to, to, um, to praise you? We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.